more and more young people are opting out of the church because of the way they see Christians living their lives. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement. It should say something about who we are. It should say something about how we should change, something about how we should be different than what we have been. Would you all pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for this day, for this opportunity to celebrate what you're doing in our lives and in our community, what you're doing all throughout this world. God, help us to hear your word and be transformed. Help us to have teachable spirits. Help us to engage one another with love. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I've got a question for you. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you have two friends who absolutely hate each other, but you're friends with both of them? Some of you are sitting between those two people right now, aren't you? <laughs> You've got two friends that you love dearly, right? Two friends that you absolutely love dearly, but they're constantly saying, you know, you're really my friend more than her friend, or, or you know, you're my friend more than his friend. Uh, and so you're caught in this tension. That's called triangulation. That's called, if you're in the world of, of psychology and sociology, sociology, it's called triangulation. It's, they're trying to draw you into their thing, get you on their side. You're being triangulated into the situation. For Christians, for Christians, there's this tension between individuals who follow Jesus Christ, individual followers of Jesus Christ, then the Christian church, as it's often portrayed, and science. Have you ever felt that tension that, that, that there's this, this ongoing struggle between the Christian church um, with all of its stuff and science with all of its stuff? This all came to a head several, several months ago. It didn't come to a head, but it's another point along the road where there was, the tension was very visible um, in the Bill Nye, the science guy, debate with Ken Ham. Did any of you see that? The, the, the science versus creationism, evolution versus creationism debates. It was fascinating, fascinating. There was this palpable sort of tension in the air between science and the Christian church, science and faith. It's interesting that we feel that way. I think it's interesting that I feel that way, caught between the two, because I love Scripture. I love the Bible. I love the church, and I love learning more and more about Scripture and, and the Bible and the church and how that I can grow as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. But I also, I also love science. I love figuring out how things work and why things work and, and understanding more about the world in which I live. So I find myself torn between these these two camps that I really want to be my friends, you know? I really love them both. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have a problem sleeping at night? Any of you guys struggle with sleep? I struggle with sleep. In fact, uh, it's pretty normal, normal for me to not go to bed until, you know, 11.30 or 12, and then I'll wake up around 1.30 or 2, and I'm just wide awake. That's just wide awake for like two or three hours, and I go back to sleep, you know, around 3 or 4 and, and wake up at at five to get my day going. This, this is pretty normal for me. Well, um, normally during those hours when I'm just woo, wide awake in the middle of the night, um, I scan through the television stations. Um, and if you have Dish Network, if you go way on up, there are some like nature channels. You get into these nature channels and they're always doing nature documentaries. And so one night I got stuck on this documentary about sardines, right? <laughs> it was late, okay? 
I got stuck on this documentary about sardines, and it's this story about sardines. They, they live off the western coast of Africa, and, and that's where um, their whole life cycle is spent. And for the most part, they stay to the south. They stay to the south in the cooler waters, feeding on phytoplankton. See, I really was learning in this whole thing. Phytoplankton, they're eating the phytoplankton. I don't know what a phytoplankton is, but um, they're eating that stuff. And then suddenly... Suddenly, billions and billions and billions of these little tiny sardines get the urge to go north for no apparent reason. I mean, that, like, we don't honestly know 100% why these little tiny fish go north. They just, they just go north. I want to show you a picture of what that going north looks like. This is what it looks like under the ocean whenever the sardines go north. Okay, there's this humongous feeding frenzy, right? There's all kinds of sharks and fish and dolphins and whales. They're all filling up on these, on these sardines that have been spending most of their life filling up on phytoplankton, right? So they're, they're just chowing down. Then all of a sudden, you go above the water, and this is what it looks like above the water. Birds are just dive-bombing the ocean, eating these fish, eating these fish, eating these fish, getting fat, getting ready to migrate. It's crazy, right? It's absolutely insane. Turns out if you take the sardines out of the picture, the ocean's ecosystem basically collapses. If the sardines don't go north, we're all in trouble. (laughs) I learned all this at 2 a.m. I told you that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm freaking out about this because I, I freak out about stuff like that. And then I geeked out about it and I was like, I've got to learn more. And so I read a little bit about these sardines. Um, and then I opened up my Bible because um, I, I, think that, I think it's a good reference point for my life. I think it's a good reference point for all of our lives. So I opened up my Bible to Genesis 1. And you got to hear this. This is the first creation story in Genesis. This is the very first creation story in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. These words are written in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, it was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. A cosmic orchestra has begun. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. You know how the story goes on, right? God continues to create. He continues to be in this creative process creating plants and animals and moons and stars and heavens and galaxies and everything that we see and everything that we know is set into motion and set into being by this creator God who is so concerned with his creation that he makes phytoplankton that live off the coast of West Africa that little tiny sardines feed on that become the food for the entire ocean. Isn't that crazy? This is why I want science and faithfulness to be friends, science and Christianity to be friends. 
Because, yes, yeah, science can tell us a lot about the world in which we live. It can tell us all sorts of incredible ph- phenomena. It's all about observation and testing and proving. But it's Scripture. It's faith that tells us the who and the why. Who created it all and why it was all spun into being. I want, I want Christianity and I want science to be friends. I don't want us to be caught in a stalemate where it's, you got to read the Bible one way and it's got to be, you know, strictly literal and it was literal seven days and, and it only happened that way. That's what Ken Ham was trying to defend against Bill Nye the science guy. Everybody loves Bill Nye. <laughs> against Bill Nye the science guy. And he was angry and it was upsetting and it was sad to see that Christians, regardless of whether they believe in evolution or not, couldn't engage in a conversation about the beauty of the created world in which we live. My prayer for you is that as you engage with science in this world, that you aren't afraid, that you don't live in fear that science would one day disprove God. Science will forever be chasing after the one who created the story. That is something that I can guarantee you. But we Christians, we get it wrong when we take Scripture and we try to read it like a textbook. When we try to read Scripture like a a set of instructions for exactly how things fell into being. The point of Genesis 1, the first creation account in the Bible, is not a day-by-day order of how things came into be, but it's... The very first verse. Do you remember the very first verse of the Bible? The very first verse. In the beginning, who created? That was a softball, guys. Who created? God. God created the heavens and the earth. God is the one who formed and fashioned it all. God is the one who spun it into being and who continues to be very intimately connected not only with his creatures, but with the whole, with the whole of creation. Adam Hamilton, the, the guy who, who wrote this book, When Christians Get It Wrong, he says, you know, he likes to, to look at science and Christianity this way. He said he was, he was touring Italy and he was in Rome, and, and so he got the opportunity to go into the Sistine Chapel. And he's there in the Sistine Chapel looking at the ceiling. Do we have a picture of the Sistine Chapel ceiling in there? No? Okay. Well, go home and Google it. Don't Google it now because I know you will. Um, (laughs) Go home and Google the Sistine Chapel ceiling. It's a work by the famous master Michelangelo. Um, and, And Adam Hamilton, he walks into the Sistine Chapel and he's just struck by the beauty of the frescoes there inside. And he's looking up like this. He's looking up. And he's just marveling at the beauty that he sees all around him when a docent comes up. A docent is is someone who's an expert in in a museum and begins to talk to Adam while he's looking up at the the beauty of this magnificent creation by this master artist. And the docent, docent, she says, you know, Michelangelo painted the ceiling just like you're looking right now. He says, what? I always heard that Michelangelo laid on his back and and painted sort of above. She said, no, 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 no. Michelangelo, he he actually stood on a platform and crooked his neck and painted the frescoes that you see on the ceiling. 
Hamilton wrote, wow, can you imagine the labor that it must have took to stand there and to paint the ceiling? Hamilton says that is how Christianity and science should relate. Christianity gives us the opportunity to understand who did the creating, that it was God who did the creating, but it's science that comes along and says, check out the phytoplankton. Check out, check out the sardines and, and the fish. Have you ever seen the stars? Have you ever seen the stars? Do you know what it takes for a star to be a star? It's science that helps fill in the gaps, the how and the when. Certainly not the who and the why. We know that by faith, as people of faith. Christianity and science don't have to be those friends. They can't stand to be in the room together. We should look to science as Christians. We should trust scientific exploration. Now, I'm not saying blindly believe. What I am saying is that scientists can help us have an even deeper appreciation of the beauty and splendor of God's creation if we'll allow that, if we will open our hearts and our minds to what science has to say. Now, science is not the only, <laughs> not the only group um, that, that has a hard time being in the room with Christians sometimes. Sometimes um, the two people in the room are actually Christians. The, uh, let me back up. The other area where Christians get it wrong, besides Christianity and science, is politics. Christianity and politics. It's amazing to look out in this room and to know those of you who, who I know really well, um, I know your politics. And I can tell you that in this room, there are liberals and there are conservatives and there are uh, Green Party people, and they're independents, and they're probably some socialists, um, and, and that's okay. Did you know, did you know that you can be a Christian and be a member of literally any political group? You really can be. You really can be a Christian and a Republican, or a Christian and a Democrat, or a Christian and a member of the Green Party, or a Christian and a member of the Socialist Party. Uh, you, you can be you can be a Christian and hold a whole range of political opinions. The problem is we get so caught up in our politics. Have you ever been in this? You get so caught up in your politics that you actually damage the people around you. We do this all the time. We see it at least on the news all the time. Don't you, you see it on TV and commercial after commercial where you know, Christian candidates are just tearing each other apart? Have you seen these? You've seen these attack ads, right? Oh, maybe you haven't. But you've certainly seen it on Facebook, haven't you? Haven't you? I've seen some knock-down drag-outs between Christian people that I love dearly over politics. And it's not just I differ on a point or I differ on this piece of legislation. It's, no, I hate people like you. I resent that you would ever think that way. These people are torn apart. And I'm sitting in my Facebook feed going, I just want to be your friends. <laughs> I love you all. We get it wrong as Christians when we fail to engage politely in debate when it comes to politics. 
when we as Christians claim that we have the whole of the truth around a certain political issue, we get it wrong. We get it wrong whenever we claim that we know for certain on any given issue that this is the way it should be and that is the way it should not be. We get it wrong. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right or in the middle or off in left field somewhere. It doesn't matter. When you make that claim that you have full knowledge that on this issue that everyone is wrong, you get it wrong. Especially when you're not, you're not open to debate and you're not open to hearing someone else's opinion. We need to have teachable spirits, loving spirits that can hear an argument that we disagree with and still love the one making the argument. This is what Paul says. It's from Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. And he's, he's speaking to a Christian community there in Ephesus. It's very much um, under, um, uh, under oppression. And he says these, these words. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of... Of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate. He's speaking to Christians, friends. He's not, he's not speaking to a group of people outside the church. He's speaking to Christians in the church. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave just as Christ forgave you. See, the problem most of us have when it comes to politics and our own faith is that we take our political stances and we turn them into idols. We turn our political parties into idols, our leaders into idols. We even have a tendency as Christians to turn our nation into an idol and worship it before we worship the God who offers us citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. That cannot be the way that we function. We must not ever allow a party, a leader, even our nation to become an idol that would separate us from loving God and loving people. That cannot be the situation that we live in as Christians. Now that's one side of it. I also want to give you another piece of helpful advice when it comes to Christianity and politics or faith and your politics. Your faith should absolutely, unequivocally, without a doubt, inform your politics. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or a Green Party or a Tea Party or whatever party it is that's out there. It doesn't matter. Whatever your political leaning is, your leaning should be informed by your faith in the God who has brought you from death to life. From death to life. And who seeks to reach others who are stuck in incredible poverty stuck in cycles of brokenness and oppression. Your faith absolutely should inform your politics. We get it right as Christians. When our faith informs our politics and we work for justice and we work for peace and we work for healing and we work for wholeness and we work for redemption and we work to get people out of the brokenness that they're stuck in, we get it right as Christians, when we do those things, do you know why we get it right? Because that's what Jesus was about. Jesus 
was about lifting up the broken, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, visiting those who were imprisoned, setting liberty to captives, giving sight to the blind. You know these things, don't you? Faith in Christ should inform your politics and what you would like the leaders that you elect to be about. It should. I'm not saying that every politician has to be a Christian. I'm just saying that as Christians, we should consider our faith whenever we enter into the ballot, balloting box, balloting box, into the poll. We get it right when our faith works for justice, healing, hope, and redemption for this world. We don't have to be at odds with science. And we don't have to let politics divide us. Because what unites us is much stronger than science and much, much greater than politics. It's the love of God poured out through His Son, Jesus Christ, who offers healing and redemption to broken people like you and like me. He's the one who lifts us up. He's the one who gathers us in. He's the one who sends us out to tell the world of the hope that we know and the hope that we found. Would you pray with me this morning? God, in a world so filled with division, help us to be those who would gather others in just as you've gathered us in. In a world filled with hate, let us speak words of peace and reconciliation. In a world full of pain, let us be the ones who bring hands of healing and restoration to broken places around the world. And even right here in our city and in our homes. God, help us get it right. Help us to trust you and look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you stand as we give our closing?